in the beginning of the 21st century. He's been seen as an anti-imperialist icon. He's been used as a pop culture icon. He's used in computer games, in, in movies. Uh, his story is adapted to uh, other stories into the future, like Afro Samurai. You're listening to War College, a weekly podcast that brings you the stories from behind the front lines. Here are your hosts. Hello and welcome to War College. I'm Matthew Galt. And I'm Derek Gannon. It's a story some of you may know. It's been told over and over in different forms. A gaijin, an outsider, comes to Japan and ingratiates themselves with the local military power. From James Clavel's Shogun, to a bad Tom Cruise movie, to William Adams, it's a story told over and over in both Japan and the West. Some of those stories have a kernel of truth, and few are as fascinating as that of Yasuke, a samurai born in Africa. Here to help us unravel the mystery and history of this legendary samurai is Thomas Lockley. Lockley is a professor at Nihon University College at Tokyo and a visiting scholar at the University of London. Along with Geoffrey Gerard, Lockley is the author of the book African Samurai, The True Story of Yasuke, a legendary black warrior in feudal Japan. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So who was Yasuke? Yasuke was... Um... He's a bit of a mystery. We know details about his life. We don't know everything. Um, however, we we can work out exactly where he came from, which is East Africa, some point of East Africa. And we know that he came through India to arrive in Japan. And he also came through Macau. We know this because he was with, he was the bodyguard of a Jesuit called uh, Valiano, who, um, who he arrived with. After that, we know a lot about him in Japan because he fascinated the people so much. Um, and so he became a superstar, essentially, not just a, a warrior and a respected warrior at that, but he became uh, a man that people wanted to see. Um, there were crowds in Kyoto and other cities that clamored to get a glimpse of him. People even died in these crowds um, the Jesuit church was almost destroyed by the crowd trying to get a look at him. So he's a man of many, uh, many interesting points, I have to say. All right, let's let's dig into some of that story just a little bit here. Um, let's start with his appearance in Japan. How did he get there? He, he, he came with the Jesuits, is that correct? He was a bodyguard, a uh, valet to the chief Jesuit in all of Asia, whose name was Valiano, yes. Okay, and how did, uh, what was the reaction? I mean, you've, you've kind of talked about the crowds a little bit. Um, why was there this reaction to him? Well, um, it's a very good question. Firstly, there's the obvious one, that they'd never seen an African before. Um, in the West, uh, where uh, there was a lot of maritime interactions with the world, they would have seen black-skinned people before. But in the capital, where Valiano and Yasuke were traveling to, this was probably the first um, African who had been there. So therefore, that on his, of its own was a novelty. Number two, he was huge. He was a giant. He was probably what we would say around about six foot two, six foot three. And the average height of people, that's well over a foot bigger than the average height of uh, even large people in, in those days in Japan. Um, thirdly, 
he was very strong. He's, he's recorded as having the strength of 10 men um, by the Japanese sources. Of course, we can't take that literally that he had the strength of 10 men, but it does mean that he was an extremely strong and big looking guy. He, was, he would have looked how a bodyguard should look, uh, intimidating. But we also know that he was a, an affable kind of guy. He smiled a lot. Um, he was easy to get to know, and the people really liked to see him. There's one more um, hypothesis I have, is that um, gods in Japan are often depicted with very dark skin. And therefore, they may, the people may have seen him as a, uh, a foreign god, if you like, come to visit them and bestow his grace and blessings upon them. And I, I also think it's interesting to put his arrival in the context of the time in Japan. Uh, this is the Sengoku period, which is the Warring States period, which is a very fascinating and turbulent time in Japanese history. Can you explain a little bit about why that's important? Absolutely, it's important. The reason, the only reason Valiano really needed a bodyguard was because he was going into a war zone. Um, the, the area where they got to originally, Kyushu, which is the very west of, of Japan, was divided up between a number of warring lords, and they were right in the middle of the battle essentially they were almost on the front line at the first uh, where they first arrived uh, about five miles from the front line and the lord who was hosting them was actually under siege when they arrived so from day one they were in a war zone um the rest of the country uh, to a lesser or larger extent was also at war um nobunaga whose name will come later on uh, as yasuke's future employer um, was the greatest of the lords, and he had succeeded in subduing perhaps a quarter of the country and all the the main import, uh, industrial cities and important important um, financial centres, as well as the religious centre of Kyoto. So, but he was still fighting on three or four fronts at the at this time. Um, you've got you've got what you would call a real classic war zone. As you said, it's called the age of the country at war, the Senkoku Jidai, and it really meant that the country was at war. Everybody was literally at war all the time. All right, and why were the Jesuits there? The Jesuits were there for various reasons. They were a very new um, militant uh, order. They'd only been formed uh, about 40 years before this. Um, they were dedicated to countering the Reformation in Europe. And through, and the, they thought the best way to do this was to expand the word of the Catholic Church around the world. Um, the, they'd got to Japan um, in 1548, and they started off very successfully, um, prostatizing and making converts. And by the time Yasuke got there, um, 30 years later, they had around about 100,000 converts, and it was the most successful of their missions um, outside of Europe. So um, they were there in force by this time because they could see that they were saving souls to make up for all the uh, heretic Lutherans, Protestants who had abandoned the Catholic Church in Europe. I'm kind of interested. How did he become into the, come into the employ of the Jesuits? Like, how did they find him? Did, they, did he seek them out? Was he a mercenary or a pirate before that? And is, is employ the right word? Yeah, is that the right word? It is the right word. Um, he was almost definitely, at the time when he was employed, he was either a freelance or he was 
a military slave. He would have been a military slave at the beginning because there were tens of thousands, perhaps even hundreds of thousands of African military slaves in India at this period. Uh, the Indians uh, valued the Africans a lot. And in fact, when we say the word slave, it doesn't necessarily have the same connotations as we're thinking about uh, from the modern age. These slaves would have been pretty well off, high status people. They would, they often did run countries or run states. Yasuke would have been just a one man among um, among these. Um, he would probably, I don't necessarily think that he would have, there wouldn't have been money changing hands for his employment. He would have perhaps sold himself uh, for a bonus, if you like, and then Valiana would have been paying him wages. Um, almost all uh, slaves in the Far East, although they had limited freedom as to who their employer was, they were paid wages and they were often employed in extremely uh, specialist positions, including military, but also building, carpentry, boat building, all sorts of other things, uh, which were in those days uh, respectable professions. Yasuke um, would have been uh, employed either in Goa, which is in Western India, or in Kochi, Kochin as it was called then, which is also on Western India, where the Jesuits had very successful missions there. Um, we don't know the details of that, but we do know that when he arrived in Japan, he was described as having come from India. So we can hypothesize that that was the case. So technically, he was kind of like a gun for hire. Like he already knew how to fight, correct? Like he he knew the art of war in the in the region of Africa. Okay. No question. So he probably was trained in India, not in Africa. But um, okay, he was trained okay. in India as a boy, or um, maybe twelve years old. Uh, he would have been um, bought by another African, probably, uh, to join that African's army, essentially, and he would have been trained up there as a teenager. It is possible and probably likely that as a warrior, when he arrived in Japan, he made contact with other warriors. Um, there were local warriors seconded to the Jesuits by friendly lords. Uh, he would have had contact with them. And in fact, he may well have acted as a kind of officer for them as he was directly responsible for Valiano's well-being and life. So he may well have coordinated the Japanese warriors who came into contact with him. So it's very highly likely that he did start to pick up local techniques there. And they would also have picked up local techniques from him, new techniques from him. And that was possibly one of the main reasons why Nobunaga was so keen on employing him later on is because he could give a whole new way of looking at the world. All right, let's talk about Oda Nobunaga, because this is another one of those figures out of Japanese history that is now also kind of mythic, uh, right? So what was it? what is it about him um, that kind of lends itself to that? And also, how did he, how did Yasuke catch his eye? How did they, they meet and how did he become, you know, come to be employed by him? I'll take that point first, because it, it goes on to the riot that I was talking about before. Uh, the riot in Kyoto, I... I think there are probably several thousands of people bashing down the Jesuit church to get a look at him. People died in the crowds, stones were being thrown. Nobunaga's um, his residence, which he commandeered a temple uh, as his local residence, was only five minutes' walk away. And he heard the commotion and demanded to know who was, who was um, breaking his peace, essentially. Um, he sent his soldiers, they dispersed the crowds uh, probably fairly quickly. 
and um, Yasuke was granted an immediate audience with Nobunaga, who was fascinated. Um, the The story goes that he asked, he thought Yasuke was a joke, that the Jesuits had painted a man to fascinate Nobunaga. Uh, so he asked for the for Yasuke's skin to be cleaned or scrubbed. Um, of course, the pig, pigment did not come off. Um, and then he invited Yasuke to a party, and they partied the day away. Uh, after that, it seems that he uh, either asked Valiano for his service, or Valiano tactfully said, why don't you um, have Yasuke uh, as your man? And he immediately entered the service of Japan's foremost warlord of the time, and perhaps Japan's foremost warlord of all time, as he's probably the most famous and revered of all the generals in Japanese history. As you said earlier on, this was the Sengoku Jidai, the age of the country at war. Um, it wasn't a comfortable time to be living. Um, people were routinely killed, um, enslaved, um, dispersed all around the country and abroad as well. Um, Nobunaga brought peace to a land which desperately needed peace. He was the first of the three great unifiers. The two that come after him are Hideyoshi and uh, Tokugawa Iyasu. Um, but Nobunaga started it off, and that is why he is revered as the most the most famous and uh, perhaps the most notorious uh, warlord in Japanese history as well. And it's, it's kind of at this period that you as a historian have more sources to work with, right? Because I'm, I'm also very interested in that. Like, how did you put this story together? Is the, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a long book, very well-researched and thorough, lots of footnotes, lots of primary sources. How did you do that? <laughs> well, it took a long time. Uh, nine years um, it, it took. Um, it didn't start off as that kind of project. It started off more as a, I want to know more about this guy because he's fascinating kind of thing. And as an academic, that automatically transferred into footnotes and reading more and more sources. Um, so therefore, um, it kind of blossomed in of itself um, over the years and turned into the book, which you probably have in front of you now. Um, yeah. I'm also interested in many other stories. This period is a fascinating period. And therefore, I think a lot of these stories all fit in together. The, the world and Japan were very interlinked at this period. And therefore, pretty much everything comes in to make connections somewhere. And I think I would like to think that that's what the book is the result of, making connections with all sorts of other issues. It's interesting that you say that, that Japan and the rest of the world were 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 interconnected at the time because that's not always the case with japan correct um so it can be... the legend goes um i would i would say that actually japan has always been far more contacted uh far more in contact than many other areas of the world um the legend or the theory of sakoku or um which starts about 60 years after 50 years after yasuke's time of disconnection from the rest of the world. It was actually only disconnection from Europe. It wasn't disconnection from the world as a whole. Uh, connections with all other Asian countries were essentially extremely good during this time. Um, and also international trade flourished. Um, during the same period, the, Euro the only Europeans who were allowed to trade in uh, Japan were the Dutch, 
they carried on a massive trade, uh, which was a real bonus for their empire. And many of the artifacts that were brought back to Europe then became copied by Europeans to make um, pottery like Wedgwood and Delft. So you can say that actually there were quite a lot of cultural interactions as well, even if it's not specifically in Japan. The effects were being felt all over the world. So Matthew Perry didn't, in fact, discover Japan at all. He just <laughs> resumed relationships with 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 Europe, essentially. Was this con- when you first stumbled onto this story? Was it? Con- did you consider it an urban legend initially? Was it just like this doesn't make any sense? You, or how did where, where did you find your sources? Like you know, you were talking about your sources. It took you nine years. That's amazing timeline i mean that's a thoroughly researched book but how do you differentiate between that i mean how did you how did you start to realize that this is actually a true story or is this something that's celebrated in japan it is celebrated in japan that's the first the first point the second point is i knew it was a true story from the start uh yasuke is only one of many such people mercenaries uh warriors um martial artists that come from various parts of the world you mentioned william adams earlier on um, there were loads of Koreans and Chinese um, people, especially over the next 50 years. Later on in history, we have other Europeans as well. Uh, we have um, Tom Cruise, although that he's actually based on the story of a Frenchman. Um, uh, this was a common theme in Japanese history. I mean, when you think of all the samurai that ever were, these foreign samurai or the people that came from abroad to become samurai are only a tiny, tiny percentage, but they do exist. And their existence has been known about for a very long time. So I never, at no point thought it was an urban legend. However, when you look at, when you go out from just the the small details that we do have, and you look at the fact that he might have been considered as a god, uh, etc., then the story turns into something more and he becomes a legend. Uh, Back to the modern day, he, he is pretty much revered um, and has been uh, for the second half of the 20th century as well as um, in the beginning of the 21st century. He's been seen as an anti-imperialist icon. He's been used as a pop culture icon. He's used in computer games, in in movies. Uh, His story is adapted to uh, other stories into the future like Afro Samurai. Um, There are loads of books in Japan which have him as a character of some some description uh he he's by far and away from being a, a hidden or a secret character uh what was his service like under nobunaga what 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 was he doing for him um well at the beginning i suspect that he was pretty much a novelty um he would have been taken in as uh he would have been employed as somebody to make nobunaga look good however very soon after that we find that nobunaga actually consults him he he finds him both entertaining and informative as a person. Um, And we therefore thereafter see him being promoted. He's given a house, he's given a sword, he's given servants, he's given money, a stipend, which these are the signs of a, not just a warrior, uh, but as a samurai. He's been kept as a retainer of the Lord, Lord Nobunaga. Um, After this, we also know that he went on at least uh, one campaign with Nobunaga, um, as he, there's an observation of him um, during that campaign. And then finally, he was at Nobunaga's side when Nobunaga was forced to um, 
perform seppuku, perform a ritual suicide. And legend has it that this is a legend. There are no documents, uh, not that I found anyway. Uh, legend had it within Nobunaga's uh, ancestors now, um, successors now, that Yasuke took Nobunaga's head for safekeeping and presented it to his son, who was the heir to the clan. Really? That's crazy. I know, it's that, crazy. That, so that's the legend part. That is the legend part. It's within the order family to this day. So um, it probably has truth to it. So do us, do some of the listeners, and I know I know a lot of our listeners are intelligent. But what is the title samurai? What does that mean? What what's what what sort of moniker does that mean to be held? Uh, a samurai is uh, a samurai means servant, um, a servant to a lord. Um, it has specifically in Japanese history the meaning of a warrior servant to a lord. Um, therefore, the in, in the the meaning would be that you are submissive to your lord and you will carry out his every order. Of course, in reality, that didn't always happen. Uh, the samurai were humans and um, subject to human whims, the same as everybody else, and often there was treachery as well. Um, however, the samurai in general were um, fearsome warriors, feared throughout Asia, uh, feared as far away as Europe. The king of Spain specifically ordered his own men not to fight the Japanese unless the Japanese were to invade the Philippines, for example. Um, therefore, we have a bit of a legend which spread around the world about these fearsome warriors. Um, we also have lots of facts as well um, from raids in China and Korea as to what these uh, warriors got up to. But when we come back to what samurai actually means at the time that Yasuke was a samurai, um, it's a little bit more hazy than later on in history. About 20 years after this, Samurai becomes coded as a, a caste, um, an immovable caste. Everybody who is Samurai will become Samurai, will be Samurai forever, and their, their successors after them until the end of time, essentially. Um, and this carried on until 1873, so that's uh, three years, uh, 300 years after, after Yasuke. Um, at Yasuke's time, it essentially meant somebody who was paid to fight for a lord. Now, you mentioned Afro Samurai earlier, and I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, I mean, I've seen that. It's a, it's a great, uh, you know, anime. Why do you, what, what's, what's the, what's the, why is there a mystique around the samurai? Why is it so popular, do you think, in the West? What, people just kind of romanticize that. Why? Well, and, and especially this idea of, like a gaijin samurai too i think is interesting because like you said he's yasuke is far from the only one what i should have said previously was the word samurai is hardly ever used in japan it's a word which is uh the japanese would use the word bushi or um other words which just mean warrior um samurai has become an english word as much as a japanese word and then has come back into japanese to be used more in japanese than it ever used to be that doesn't mean that it wasn't used in in, um, in in Japan. It's a historical word, but the word itself has been romanticized along with the men and, and the women um, who held that, that title. Why? Well, um, there's both the stories from Yasuke's time that spread around the world, and then you have this, the period when, um, when there's less contact with Europe uh, until the mid 18. Uh, mid-1850s, mid around 1854. Uh, the legends have continued to to blossom 
you have, for example, stories like Gulliver's Travels, uh, which um, Gulliver goes to a country um, of little people and has all his, his problems there. That's the only country that's actually identifiable in, in Gulliver's Travels because Gulliver goes to Nagasaki, which is, of course, a city in Kyushu. Uh, so the legend metamorphosized over a couple of hundred years. And then in the 1850s, you have, again, probably mainly British um, diplomats and scholars who collected stories um, of uh, warriors, and they did romanticize it, there's no question, um, because they were fascinated by these stories. Um, in a way, the imperialist myth had been that the Europeans were, were the, the pinnacle of civilization. And therefore, when Europeans actually looked closely at China, Japan, Korea and other places and found that actually there was uh, equally developed civilizations with equally developed or even more developed senses of honor and chivalry, etc. A lot of Europeans then came to question themselves as to what the basis of their own imperial thoughts were. Um, and so this is also where we come back later on as uh, Tiasco as an anti-imperial icon for the Japanese as well. Anyway, I'll stop there for this one. I'm going beyond myself. You, something kind of ties into that. You mentioned earlier that Yasuke is an anti-imperial icon. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. The first uh, book that's ever um, told his story reasonably factually was in 1968. Uh, it was a children's book, actually. Uh, it's illustrated. It's an early form of manga, if you like. And it was written by um, a, an author, a female author called Kurusu. Um, she specifically in her afterword in the book um, says that she sees him as the antidote to all the European, the fat European generals and uh, diplomats that carved up Africa. And this is at the period when African states were just starting to become independent from Europe um, for the first time for 70 years or so since Europe had started colonizing Africa in, in the late 19th century. Um, so she sees him as an antidote to that. A couple of years later, there's another book written also about Yasuke, less factually accurate this time, called Korombo, which is written by the same author that wrote Silence, um, the movie which was so uh, popular a few years ago, uh, Endo Shusaku. And he, he uses Yasuke in a different way. Um, this is most definitely an adult book. He uses Yasuke as a fool, uh, um, the embodiment is a far less, uh, far more pessimistic view of Africa of the time. He uses Yasuke as a metaphor for the Africa of the time, which was, although uh, more independent, more independent nations were still being used and carved up by the Europeans and indeed Americans for their own, uh, for their own ends. And you could probably say to a certain extent that would hold today. I'm wondering, okay, so you, you live in Japan, correct? You're a stranger in a strange land, maybe not so much anymore. Uh, but is that why you felt drawn to this story? Yeah, absolutely. There's no question that was part of the initial attraction of it. Um, the the parallels with my life are, are zero. I, I was neither born a slave nor uh, brought here on a ship uh, taking two years or um, had any of the other difficulties that Yasuke must have, have come across. However, yeah, um, I'm in my 20th year, e either in Japan or in connection with Japan now. 
and yeah it, it does take something to discover a new culture of course and um i would like to think i'm perhaps not so much of a stranger anymore but uh, i think it's a, it's a fair point when did you first like, when did you first learn about him like what was what was the initial attraction moment 2009 i was actually looking at uh, something on william adams uh, on wikipedia i think i was making a lesson uh, i'm a teacher um and at the at the bottom of the wikipedia article there was uh, there's often links to similar stories or other things you might find interesting and yaskes just happened to be one of them i had yeah i had no idea about this it was sounded like a fascinating story clicked on it and everything started from there essentially within a year i i kind of started my research and even started to write what i first thought would be a fiction book because i thought there was not enough for a fact book um that book didn't come off the ground in the end uh mainly due to family reasons i had two children and <laughs> etc um but as they got a bit older then i went back to the yasuke project and this book which you hold now was born i want to go back for a second um the when uh nobunaga created uh or went ahead and, and uh you said something about seppuku how he of course it's a ritual disembowelment and along with being beheaded and yasuke was uh was his samurai. So now he's masterless. So he, what happened to him after that? Did he move to another warlord? Did he get his own land? Did he become a lord himself? I just want for, just for me, I just wanted to go back. Where, what happened to him after, uh, you know, yeah, they called Shogun, like Shogun Nobunaga. Like what happened when he lost his, his master? Well, Nobunaga wasn't a Shogun. He refused the title. Uh, although he was, he had been offered it. Um, he was uh, probably waiting for a better time to when he really did have the country under his control to get it. Nobunaga um, cut his belly. Um, his lover, Ranmaru, uh, chopped his head. Yasuke probably then helped Ranmaru also in seppuku by chopping his head. And then he took Nobunaga's uh, head to Nobunaga's son. At this point, Nobunaga's son is the head of the clan. So Yasuke is still a samurai for nobunaga's son however oh, within okay. an hour uh, within an hour or so nobunaga's son is also dead um in the same coup um yasuke fights to the end with his son as well uh, who's called nobutada and then the yasuke is taken before the the master of the coup who's called akechi mitsuhide and he um akechi mitsuhide insults him uh says he should have killed himself, got no honor. Then he sends Yasuke back to the Jesuit church where the Jesuits are, are very, very pleased to see him and they praise the Lord that he's, he's um, alive and well. That's the last historical recording we have of his life. What happened after that, we don't know. However, I hypothesize in the book that he probably kept his head down for a bit in Kyoto in the church, then made his way back to the West, Nagasaki probably, probably um, worked for the Jesuits there for a bit as, again, hired muscle. They were just, re they were just um, reinforcing Nagasaki at the time. It was their city. They're building walls. They're putting guns on the walls, etc., etc. Um, he would have been very useful there. Um, then what happens after that? There are lots of other recordings of similar types of black men in Japan at this time. 
whether they're Yasuke or not, we do not know. And that is uh, very sad. Um, but the book will take you through many of these sightings, how likely it is that they were Yasuke, how likely it wasn't that they were Yasuke, etc. I suspect he entered the service of another lord. He's a very useful uh, man with several languages under his belt, probably about four languages. Um, he's got immense knowledge of the world, immense knowledge of war, and he's obviously proved himself in war as well in Japan. So it would have been a bit of a coup for another lord to then employ Nobunaga's ex-black samurai, if you like. Mm-hmm. Did he have a wife? We, we don't know whether he had a wife, but we do know many of the other Africans did have wives and children. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be lovely to think that one of them was him and that he did have wives and children. So he just kind of fades from the historical record at that point? He, as soon as Nobunaga employs him, um, on the first day, he's given riches. So he would have been a wealthy man. Um, on the first day, he's given an awful... Uh, uh, he's given a whole... He's given 37.5 kilos. That's about 70 pounds worth of uh, copper coins. I, mean, mm. I, I think, personally, that might have been a bit of a joke to see if he could li- lift the 70 pounds of copper coins as well. But that's an awful lot of money. And from then on, he's also got an awful lot of money coming in from other sources too. So he's he's not going to be a poor man. He can afford wives. He can afford children. He can afford social status. Thank you so much for coming on to War College and telling us the story. Thank you for having me. And thank you for uh, reaching out to find me as well. Thank you for listening to War College. Our guest was Thomas Lockley, and his book is out April 30th. It's called African Samurai, The True Story of Yasuke, a Legendary Black Warrior in Feudal Japan. War College is me, Matthew Galt, Derek Gannon, and Kevin Nodell. It was created by me and Jason Fields, who's really happy he just got a big story done. You can find us wherever fine podcasts are podcasted. If you like us, please leave a rating and a review on iTunes. It helps others find the show. In the coming weeks, we'll be talking about LSD, that's right, LSD, and unearthing a Cold War plan to nuke the moon. Until then, stay safe out there.